Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us praise the name of God with a song. Let us magnify him with thanksgiving. Let us pray. Almighty God, your Son, Jesus Christ, fed the hungry with the bread of his life and the word of his kingdom. We pray now that you would be present with us so that we might indeed be fed and strengthened and turn towards you. Renew your people with your heavenly grace, and in all our weakness, sustain us by your true and living bread, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 125, Let All Things Now Living. Against you, O God, you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be blameless in your judgments of us, and yet forgiving through Jesus Christ. Let us confess our sin together in prayer. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of our youth or our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, pardon our guilt, for it is great. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you who have faith in Jesus Christ. I declare to you that all those who do have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the the gospel, and we say together, praise be to God. Beloved children of God, hear the words of the apostle to the church. Once you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Strong metaphor there, isn't there, of light and darkness. And it brings out the very reality of what we are now in Jesus Christ. We are in the light. He is the light. We've been joined with him. And so we are to participate in that light of God, and we are to be witnesses to that light of God in society or to be witnesses to what is good and right and true revealed in Jesus Christ and by God's word. Let us remember that and be faithful to um, follow our Lord and to be those who are consciously living in the light. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our second hymn is number 279, Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands. Strange and dreadful strike. 
Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world. We rejoice and we have come here to worship because of that very fact. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And even though the world was already judged for its sin, you came for our salvation and we praise you. Jesus came that all who believe in him might be delivered from the power of sin and death. And now he's poured out the promised Holy Spirit upon us so that we may live in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. By the power of your spirit, we pray for people everywhere. Almighty and everlasting God, we pray for the holy universal church of Christ in this world with whom your people are governed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Receive our prayers, which we offer before you for all members of your church, so that in their vocation and service they may truly and devoutly serve you. We do pray for the church's witness and its unity, its service. For all the churches in this vicinity, we pray for Emmanuel Lutheran and Good Shepherd Baptist and Victory Life Fellowship down the street. We pray for their pastors and elders and deacons, the people they serve. We also pray for ministers and members of our presbytery, for Stephen Pribble, pastor of the church in Lansing, and Doug Bilsma, pastor of the church in Ontario, and other ministers and members of this presbytery. 
We remember Hiro Hakobor, his family, and the churches in Ukraine. We know that their situation is, is tense and, and sometimes traumatic. We pray for them as well. Here are our prayers for these and others who come to mind. Kindle, we pray in every heart the true love of peace and guide with your wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of this earth, those who rule in the, among the nations. We pray that the tranquility of your kingdom may increase until the earth is filled with the knowledge of, of your salvation through Jesus Christ. So we pray for all nations, for those who lead them, and for the refugees passing through the nations, so many refugees in so many places of this world. We do pray for China to respect the sovereignty of other nations and not to try to uh, conquer them and, and take power over them for their own purposes. We pray for Russia to stop its attack on Ukraine. We pray for the leaders in North Korea to respect their citizens as human beings and stop threatening war. We pray for Iraq and Afghanistan, for Palestine and Israel, for our leaders in our own country, those who govern us, and for the strife that seems to keep popping up in various places in our nation. We pray that we wouldn't have a peace that comes by ignoring problems, but a peace that comes through humility and a willingness to obey the rule of law. Here are our prayers for these nations. Merciful Father, let the cry of those in misery and need come to you, that they may find help in time of need. Give us the strength to help them in the name of Christ who came to our aid. May we know that as a church, as your people, and as individual Christians, we are to care for the least and the lost in this world. We pray for the hungry, the homeless, the destitute, the oppressed. We pray for the sick and wounded, for those who are lonely, afraid, and depressed. We pray for those in need of work, for those who face temptation, doubt, and despair. We pray for the sorrowful and bereaved, for prisoners and captives, for the exploited. And even though these are general descriptions, specific faces and names come to mind. Here are our prayers for them. And for those in need in this congregation and among our friends, for those who are in need of comfort, strength, and healing, we do pray for the Roberts family, for Bob and Fawn, for Eduardo, for Jeff and Linda, for our friends Becky, Mrs. Mesner, Ronald, Angie, Karen, Phil, Tom, Judy, and others we name to you in silence. Hear our prayers for their healing and grace and for good medical care and that you would uphold them and give them a trust in you during their trials. Gracious Father, creator of all the peoples of the earth, have compassion on those who do not know you as you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. Let your gospel be preached with grace and power to those who have not heard it. We pray you would turn the hearts of those who resist you and bring home to your fold those who have gone astray that there may be one flock under one shepherd, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We pray for those who have never heard the word of salvation, for those who have lost their faith, for those hardened by sin and indifference, for the contemptuous and scornful, for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ and persecutors of the church. We pray for those who mock us because of our faith in Christ. Hear our prayers that you will open their hearts in your sal- according to your salvation and by your grace you would give them faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers for those who we know who are uh, attacking the church or the faith. We make our prayers to you in the name and in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And join me in uh, a prayer for the illumination as we enter God's word together. Lord God, we do know that every good thing in heaven and on earth comes from you. And we thank you especially for the gift of your word that we can approach and uh, at any moment we desire. And we thank you for putting us in a time and a place where your word is so readily available to us. And Um, is allowed for us. Uh, We pray as we gather in your word this morning that you would uh, bless our reading, um, send your spirit to guide us, to open our hearts and open our minds, 
that we may understand what you have to tell us and that what we read um, and your wisdom would linger with us for uh, a long time after this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our first reading this morning, uh, Old Testament reading, comes from Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Our Psalter response is from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will In the company of the upright in the congregation. Studied by all who delight in them. And his righteousness endures forever. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He remembers his covenant forever. In giving them the inheritance of the nations. All his precepts are trustworthy. To be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has commanded his covenant forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. His praise endures forever. Our epistle reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. As I speak, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, 
Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what is what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Finally, our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. During Jesus' passion and on his way to the cross, Jesus instituted a meal for us. From the beginning of the church, this meal was celebrated. The churches of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John ate the Lord's Supper, and they refer to it in their Gospels. It was also celebrated in the churches Paul established, and we heard uh, him mention it in his letter to the Corinthians. When the church began after Jesus' resurrection, there's evidence in Scripture of two kinds of worship services, kind of two foci or two uh, focus in, in two ways. There was the service of the Word, where the gospel was preached, where the Word of God was taught, um, focused on Jesus Christ. And there was the service of the table, where the Lord's Supper was celebrated. So these two kinds of services. These two services belonged together, and by the end of the first century, they were two parts of one worship service. So I always like to draw uh, a... a, um, What is this? (laughs) I like to draw the oblong kind of circle with the two foci. And, and emphasize, yeah, thank you, um, and, and focus on the fact that there are these two points in the worship service. Our worship service is like that. It has the preaching of the word, the service of the word, which is happening at this first part of the service and the second part of the service we go to the table. That's a very, very ancient pattern. And it got interrupted in different ways in church history, but thankfully a lot of churches are coming back to it. Now, there are several things in our text that have provoked reflection, discussion, and debates in the church, and I could belabor each one in this sermon. There's a lot packed that that the church has reflected on, discussed, debated, that's been a part of some major um, councils and things in the church, and I could belabor each one. I'll point some of them out to you. For one thing, there's the name of the meal. 
the name of the meal. Now, I've been calling it the Lord's Supper because it was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his meal, you could say. So it's the Lord's Supper. And our text clearly tells us that Jesus instituted it. So Lord's Supper is a name for it. Yet it has other names as well. It's called communion, which indicates the fellowship aspect of the meal. That could go back to what Paul, uh, the way Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, the word there, koinonia, that's translated in the ESV participation, can also be translated fellowship. And we get the word communion that comes out of that. So um, the, the meal has that fellowship aspect to it. So it's sometimes called communion. The Eastern Orthodox churches prefer to call it pascha because it's a Passover type of meal, and pascha is the Greek word for Passover. The Lord's Supper has also been called the Eucharist. And unfortunately... That's a name that is generally dropped out of the sacramental language of the Reformed churches. You don't hear us use that word Eucharist very much. But it is a solidly biblical word, and it actually appears in our lesson this morning. Verse 23, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. So Eucharist is derived from the Greek, Greek word for thanksgiving. Actually, all the gospel accounts and Paul's account of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians use that word Eucharisteo which means give thanks. Therefore, the Lord's Supper has a long tradition of being called the Eucharist. And just because some church we disagree with theologically uses the word doesn't mean it's a bad word. Some of these other churches also use the word Lord. Does that mean we're going to stop using the word Lord because they use the word Lord? No, of course not. So Eucharist is a good biblical word, and it's a good name for the Lord's Supper. The name of the meal is important, but is it central to the text? Is it what this text is focused on? Is it what this text is really uh, centered on? There's also the cup of wine set apart in the meal, and I could belabor this. Many Americans don't drink wine with their meals. My family growing up, we didn't drink wine with meals, so it's easy for those of us who don't drink wine to come to this meal, and there's wine present, and that really makes it special, unique. There's wine there. You know, you get to do some, taste something usually with a scrunched up face when you're, when you're young drinking it because if you're not used to wine, it's, it's got that, that uh, strong flavor. There's been plenty of conversation about using wine in the Lord's Supper. You know, the Jews typically drank wine back in the days of Jesus, uh, typically drank wine with, uh, drank water, I'm sorry, <clears throat> with their ordinary meals. So in their regular meals, they drank water. For the Passover meal, however, they drank wine. They substituted water with wine, and they drank four cups of it, four drinks of wine. And each cup, the four cups of wine in the Passover meal, they all had a symbolic meaning. Now, the cup mentioned in our text is probably the fourth cup of wine in the Passover meal. And this cup was called the cup of blessing. That was the name of the cup. The cups had names in the Passover meal, and the fourth one was called the cup of blessing. And that's precisely what Paul calls it in his letter to the Corinthians. Did you hear what he said? He said, the cup of blessing that we bless, is, not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is the wine what is central to this text, what it's all about. In our, in our text, Jesus refers to the cup rather than the wine, which is interesting. He doesn't say a cup of wine or the wine. He refers to the cup. Verse 23 says, And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. He took a cup. And did you hear this verse 
it says they all drank of it, singular. They all drank from one cup. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was with one cup that was passed around to each disciple, and each took a drink from it. This is called a common cup, and the church historically has used a common cup in the Lord's Supper. Not every church uses a common cup. There are other things that can be represented by how the elements are distributed and all that, and today we have all of our health concerns, so... The one cup is not uh, really in favor at this moment. There are still churches that do that. But here's the thing. Is the common cup central to this text? Is that what we need to be focusing in on as primary to the text? Now, we could go on with all the nuances and special features of Jesus' institution of the communion meal, such as how often did he intend it to be celebrated? That's an important question. We can't avoid that discussion because churches must decide the frequency of celebrating the Lord's Supper. It has to be decided, unless you're never going to have it. So to answer that question, however, we must understand what happens in the meal. It's understanding what happens in the meal that answers that question. There's also the declaration that Jesus makes, this is my body. How are we to understand what Jesus means? And I will have more to say about that later in the sermon. And what about that cryptic line where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. How we understand that makes a big difference for what we think is happening when we partake of the Lord's Supper right now. And I also say something more about that in this sermon. But when it's all said and done, what is the primary message of our lesson about Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper? You see, there are all these little sublines or uh, secondary points, I would call them secondary points, that are important and are there in the text and need to be talked about, but are they the primary point of this text? And that's what I want to draw your attention to. What is the central message in our text this morning? And it really has a couple of them. Um, they wrap together. But what is central to this meal is redemption. This is a redemptive meal. The first phrase of the first line of our reading, verse 26, pushes us back to the earlier context of the meal. So here we have a text, a few verses we've read, but they're part of a larger context. And so the first verse just automatically pushes us back to that. It goes back to the previous passage in which Jesus directs his disciples to prepare what? The Passover meal. They're to go out and prepare the Passover meal. It's Passover week, and the meal is coming, and they're to go out and prepare for it. And Jesus has already talked to them about that before our text. And before that, at the very beginning of this section of the Gospel of Mark, which starts at chapter 14, verse 1, Mark tells us the Passover feast was about to begin. And that's when the priests and the scribes plotted Jesus' death, the woman anointed Jesus with oil, and so on. So that's all happening as this Passover week begins. So Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at Passover, and that's very important to remember. Mark tells us it is a meal related to the Passover meal. And that means that the Passover helps us to understand what the Lord's Supper is all about. Now, the Passover was a redemptive event for Israel. Last week, our Old Testament lesson was Exodus 12, which was about the institution of the Passover meal. God gave the instructions to Israel Uh, to Moses to give to Israel about establishing that meal. At that time, Israel was enslaved to Egypt, and Egypt was a harsh tyrant that refused to let Israel uh, leave. 
and the people of Israel lived in Egypt under a death sentence. They were slaves there. They were expected to produce. If they couldn't produce, then they were of no use to the Egyptians. In fact, they were actually a burden, so then they could be killed. And, and Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh even established a, a rule that um, the firstborn children were to be killed. So, <clears throat> um, I'm sorry, that the, the male children were to be killed in, in, of the Israelites. So it was a place of, of death. Israel was under a cruel, deadly master. God acted to deliver Israel from Egypt. He acted to redeem Israel, and the Passover is all about that. God brought Egypt to its knees with ten plagues. It's always fun to hear about the ten plagues. Uh, Fun, I mean, from where we stand. (laughs) But God defeats this great and mighty nation with gnats, with frogs, with flies, with hail, all of this. It's, it's just a wonderful story of, of God, the Lord of heaven and earth, who doesn't even have to really lift his finger to destroy this nation. He just sends these little pests, and it brings, it, brings his, uh, Egypt to its knees. And at the crux of God's deliverance, he led his people through the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army. And I know most of you know the story. But it's good to, to review it, to remember it, because that's the content. That's sort of the background for the Lord's Supper. God instituted the Passover meal to be observed on the night before he struck the Egyptians with the last plague, which was the death of the firstborn. The next morning, Israel was released. The Passover meal was all about God redeeming Israel from slavery and death in the land of Egypt. Now, sadly, today, the Passover meal has been reinterpreted as a celebration of human freedom. Secular people explain it as a Jewish festival of national liberation, like the Fourth of July or Bastille Day. Some have interpreted it as a generalized celebration of freedom in which the Jews stand for, stand, stand for all the world's oppressed and the Egyptians represent all the world's aggressors. So it takes on sort of this larger oppression sort of narrative um, that you hear, and that's how the Passover gets interpreted. With this view, the Passover is about humanity freeing itself, and God's just totally left out of the picture. If this is what the Passover is, then we don't have much to celebrate. Why celebrate it? What is there to celebrate? We try again and again throughout history, and we can never break loose from oppressing each other. Yes, we have a moment when we do, and then we turn right back around to do it again. We oppress each other all the time, and we, and, and we become enslaved, and we are enslaved to death, and we can't seem to free ourselves from that. So what is there to celebrate if, if it's not about God doing something? But the Passover is not a secular event. The excitement of the Passover meal is that God is a redemptive God. He redeems the people trapped in sin and death. He redeems the people who were under the the, the, uh, master. Now, it was during the celebration of this meal that Jesus instituted his meal for us, and that is no coincidence. It's not like Jesus was sitting there going, oh, hey, I've got another meal I want to show you. It's, it's, extremely tie, it's extremely important. It's tied to the Passover meal. The Lord's Supper is a Passover kind of meal. It is a redemptive meal. Jesus creates his new meal out of the Passover meal. He didn't bring extra piece, items of food and say, okay, you know, we're done with the Passover meal. Let's come over here. I've got something from Burger King for you. What he did is he pulled items out of the Passover meal and highlighted them. 
The Passover meal was a very important meal that celebrated God delivering Israel from captivity, and every food item was linked to that event. So God told Israel to sacrifice the lambs and wipe their blood on the door frames of the people's houses so the angel of death would pass over them without harm. The bitter herbs represented their slavery. The unleavened bread represented Israel's haste out of Egypt. And the four cups of wine represent God's four promises of redemption during the Exodus. And here they are. During the Exodus, God made four promises of redemption. Number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, and I will rid you from their slavery. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And number four, I will take you to me for a people. What Jesus did is he pulled out two of the items in the Passover meal and instituted the meal, uh, his meal about his act of redemption for us, his death on the cross. So he took the bread and said, this is my body for you. And he took the fourth cup of wine and said, this my body, uh, my blood of the covenant. Jesus instituted a meal for us that is a kind of Passover meal because it is a redemptive event of God. And it's far more extensive than the exodus of Israel from Egypt. Jesus' redemptive event on the cross is about freeing us from the greater powers of sin, death, and the devil. If it's just simply going back to a nation oppressing another nation, like Egypt was oppressing uh, Israel, the people of Israel, that's good, but that's awfully limited. And how does that affect us? So what Jesus did is extend it far out so that it includes his redemptive event takes care of sin, death, and the devil. So what this means is that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are engaged in a redemptive event, and that's central to this text. Secondly, this meal is a covenantal meal. So it's a redemptive meal and it's a covenantal meal, and that's also central to our text this morning. Jesus took one of the cups from the Passover meal and said, This, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It's verse 24. Now, interestingly, in Mark, the focus is on the cup. It's not on the wine itself. Mark's gospel highlights the cup. Jesus took the cup, and say the wine or the cup of wine. This cup represents the covenant. It stands for the covenant. In his letter to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul repeats the tradition handed down to him that Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the cup is associated with the new covenant. Blood, of course, refers to a death like the lambs that were sacrificed for the Passover. So Jesus institutes a new covenant between God and his disciples by his death. A new covenant, not the old Mosaic covenant, but a new one. With the cup, Jesus shows that his disciples participate in this new covenant by passing the cup around and they all drink from it. If you drink from the cup, you're participating in that covenant, that new covenant. In this meal, when we drink from this cup, we are participating in the new covenant of the Lord. When you drink from the cup, and we do try to maintain the the, uh, presentation of the one cup here. There was one cup and one loaf on the table up here. And then um, that is, uh, especially when we've had all this back together, we show the one cup being poured into the trays, and then it goes out. So the the symbolism there of it going out in the one cup is very important. Um, and is being, is being indicated here in our worship service. So Jesus institutes that, um, that cup to his 
disciples and shows it as it's passed around that they are participating in a new covenant of the Lord. The Lord's Supper is a covenantal meal. It's like the covenant meal at Mount Sinai in our Old Testament lesson this morning. So God set up the covenant with Israel, and then he summoned the leaders of the people along with Moses to come near to him. The book of the covenant was read. This is a covenant meal. It's a covenant act in in, uh, Exodus 24. The book of the covenant was read. The covenant stated what God had done for them. He had redeemed them from Egypt. It listed out the Ten Commandments. These were all things you did in a covenant-making ceremony. The covenant specified the people's obligation to God. There were sacrifices. There was blood. It was a covenant with God, and so the people were obligated to him. The blood was thrown on the people because they had to be covered by the sacrifices in order to be present with God. It also indicated that if they broke the covenant, covenant, they come under the judgment of God, which is reflected by death, blood. After the blood was splattered on them, and I know I do say splattered, um, you're probably glad you weren't there. <clears throat> and they took a vow that, what they, that they would keep God's covenant. The people affirmed their obligation to the Lord, and they said in the text, of Exodus 24, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, we will be obedient. That is a covenant. That's the part of the people in the covenant-making ceremony. In this covenant, God would be their God, and they would be his people. And then the representatives of the people ate a meal with God. It was a covenant meal. By eating it, they were ratifying the covenant with God. This was not just a meal that recalled what God had done for them. This was a meal where God was present with his people and they ate together in covenantal relationship. So verse 10 of Exodus 24 says, Moses and the representatives of Israel saw the glory of of God, of the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. God was present. Jesus identifies the meal that he instituted as a covenant meal, covenantal meal. In our text from Mark, the word used for covenant, remember he says the cup of the covenant. The word used for covenant is not the common word used in Greek. The more common word in Greek for a covenant implied a covenant between equals, like we would say a contract. Like we sit down at a table with a lawyer and we draw up a contract between two people and then this is what's binding between us, but we're both equal in the contract. That's not the word Jesus uses. In our text, Jesus uses another word for covenant that indicates that those who are involved in the covenant are not equals, one superior to the, to the other. The new covenant is between Jesus and his disciples. However, in it, Jesus is the Lord and we are his servants. He is our redeemer and we are those who were enslaved to sin and could not free ourselves. He is our God and we are his people reconciled to him. So in this meal, we affirm that we are obligated to him, that he is our Lord and we are his people. That's what's happening every time you eat and drink this meal. We affirm that every time. We're not equals with Jesus, so consequently we come to the Lord's Supper on his initiative, not our own. And what's being affirmed there, in part, is that he is our Lord and we are his people. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are engaged in a covenantal meal with our Lord. 
So Jesus reveals to us in our gospel lesson that the meal he instituted is a redemptive meal and a covenantal meal. But most importantly, and I would say this is what is the center of the, of the text, it's a meal where he is present. Now, it's so easy to overlook that because he's there you know, instituting the meal. So we look at what he's saying, what's happening there, and we completely forget about the fact that he's there. He's present. Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. This is my body. Now, I've translated the line that way, and I keep messing it up, but this my body. Take, this my body. I translate it that way, following many scholar, scholars who point out that Jesus spoke Aramaic. And the Aramaic language does not have the copula verb is in it. It doesn't have the to be verb, the verb is. It doesn't have that in Aramaic. In Aramaic, Jesus would have said, take this my body. The this is the bread, but he would not not have said is. The is gets translated into Greek and English because these languages require a verb that connects the subject to its complement. So our structure of our sentences requires the to be verb, the is, to be there. But not in Aramaic. It's not even, it doesn't even exist. The is is an important word that's been used a lot in discussions about the Lord's Supper. And those discussions still need to happen even if the is wasn't there originally. Certainly trying to be true to what Jesus said does not solve all the theological debates in the church about the Lord's Supper. So I'm not trying to suggest that, oh, well, the is wasn't originally there, so that settles all the questions. No, (laughs) it doesn't. It still raises lots of questions. However, by relating the bread to his body, Jesus indicates what's happening in the meal that he instituted. That's important. By relating the bread to himself, it's indicating what's happening. The person of Jesus is present at the meal. And that's most important. What makes the Lord's Supper truly a redemptive meal and a covenantal meal is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't have that effect and that that reality in and of itself. It's because the Lord is present. That's why it's a redemptive meal. That's why it's a covenantal meal. So just like the meal that God had with Israel on Mount Sinai, it is a covenantal meal ratifying the covenant because the Lord is present. It can't be ratified with him if he's not there. If the Lord is not present, then we're just talking to ourselves. Maybe using his words, but just talking to ourselves. There's no one on the other side listening or who's there responding. If the Lord who redeems us from our sin is not present, then we're eating a meal without any redemptive power. But the Lord Jesus Christ is present at this meal with his disciples, with us. But when is he present with us? It's a fair question. When is he present with us? Verse 25, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now some think Jesus is talking about the messianic feast. The scriptures talk about how there will be a feast in heaven, um, which will take place after the final judgment. Christ will return gather his people, we'll go through the judgment, and then we'll feast with him at the Messianic banquet. However, another way to understand this is that it is the time after his resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He inaugurated his kingdom in this world with his victory over sin and death. So his kingdom has begun. 
And actually, it began when he entered into the world. Remember at, at chapter 1, verse 15, where he, he announces the kingdom of God is drawn near. The kingdom of God is here. It's here because the Lord is here. So the Lord has come. The kingdom has begun. And, um, and you could say it began then. However, there was no meal established with his disciples. So it wouldn't have been something um, that we'd, we'd eat and drink in yet. But um, it definitely, you could say, even began back then. So Jesus inaugurates his kingdom in this world. He will, re- will return again, and we will feast with him in plain view. The messianic banquet is a wonderful metaphor, a wonderful way of showing us that. However, his kingdom has begun, and we eat and drink with him now. He's present now with us when we eat and drink. And to make this clear to us, Jesus identifies his presence with the bread. So there is an identification going on. There is a relationship, a connection. As the bread is on the table, so Jesus is present with us. When you see the bread on the table and the meal is being instituted and set apart, has been instituted and set apart for our celebration in the church, then we can be confident Jesus is present with us. Another minister and I were whispering to each other during the theological exam of a candidate at our presbytery meeting. I tend to do that a lot. And the candidate was asked how Christ was present at the Lord's Supper. And the candidate said spiritually, which is a very good Calvinistic answer. It doesn't mean in some symbolic way. It means Christ is truly present by his Holy Spirit. So spiritually is what the man said. My colleague leaned over and said, I'd like to say really. Jesus is really present with us at the table. Jesus is not figuratively or symbolically present. He is really and truly present. And now we are Jesus' disciples, and he is present with us when we celebrate the meal he instituted. He is present as our Lord. Jesus has instituted this meal as a covenantal meal to tell us that he is our Lord and we are his people. Now that might seem like something that maybe you need to hear a few times, but why would you need to hear that every week? Well, we need to hear it every week. And not just hear it, we need to hear it from our Lord that he is our Lord. Throughout the week, we're tempted to subject ourselves to other pretend lords all the time. They're all coming at us, and they're not true lords, but they present themselves as true lords, and they never say, I'm the lord of this and that, except the leader of North Korea. He uses that name title in his long list of titles, but no one else says Lord. You know, they're not going to be that obvious, but that's what they're claiming to be, Lords. And they're trying to get control over your life. Throughout the week, our trust in Jesus falters that he is our Lord. We wonder, is he our Lord? We wonder as we hear the media reports about our society, as we hear arguments against the Christian faith, as we hear friends turning away from God. And then... We hear his word preached, and we come to the table to eat with him, and he calls calls out to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we know it's the Lord Jesus, and he rules over the powers and authorities of this world. Then we eat in peace with Jesus, taking comfort that he is our Lord. Jesus is also present as our Redeemer. He has instituted this meal to feed us and heal us of our sin. 
With our text and the bread and the cup, Jesus tells you he is present at this table in the church. Now, it's easy to, to use that word literally. He tells us with the preaching of his word. We're hearing his word proclaimed. He shows us at the table. But this is his word also. It's a word that he shows us. And it always should be accompanied by the preaching of the word. So he shows us that he is um, present at the table. I'll summarize what he says to you. So if you have had trouble following along with this whole sermon, because I know it's been a little bit tight and, uh, and, and, and I've tried to say a lot in it, um, I'm going to boil it down right now for you in just a few lines. So I will summarize what he says to you. As you are invited to the table in the church, I am there with you. You belong to me. I have conquered sin, death, and the devil for you and have taken you to myself and brought you into God's family. Because I have done this, I am your Lord and you do not belong to anyone else. Consequently, you are to live my way, which I teach you with my word, not the ways of this world. I know you cannot do this on your own. You are weak and debilitated by sin. Therefore, I feed you in order to heal you and give you the the strength you need to follow me. Come to this meal with faith in Jesus Christ and receive his blessings for us. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we praise you that you did not abandon us to our sin and captivity to the devil, but you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us, redeem us, and make us your beloved children. And as we hear the gospel, may we come to the Lord's table and see the gospel so that we might love Jesus as our Lord in obedience and faith, who lives and reigns with you, O Father, in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let us indeed affirm our faith as we come to the Lord's table with the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, Light, very God of very God, God to not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead 
and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is the insert, I come with joy to meet my Lord.
This is the Lord's table, where we are met and nourished by the risen Lord, and where we have true fellowship with one another as co-members of this one body. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We do welcome to this table all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of good standing of the Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin, and a determination in reliance on God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love toward his brothers, uh, your brothers and sisters. And Christian people, today we have been reminded that Jesus reminded that Jesus is present at this table and he makes this meal a redemptive and a covenantal meal. This day we have confessed our sin, received the assurance of God's forgiveness, we've heard his call to live in love, and as you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him and be strengthened by the sacrament. Have faith that Jesus is present and feeds us. Come to this meal with joy, with that faith. Rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, be strengthened by his gifts, and find here the grace you need to follow where he leads. Join me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. And lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and grace. O Heavenly Father, you made the world, you showed your love for your creation, you created it good. You gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior because we rebelled against you. His dying and rising has set us free from sin and death. And so we gladly thank you with all the hosts of heaven, praising you, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. We praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we obey his command by your Holy Spirit, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of your dear Son. Father, we remember all that Jesus did, his incarnation, his service on earth, his death, his rising to new life, his ascending to your right hand. In him we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once and for all upon the cross. And with the bread of his life and the cup of your salvation, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. Lord of all life, help us to work together to bear witness to that day when your kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth. Look with favor on your people, gather us in your loving heart, arms, bring us with all your holy people to feast at your table in heaven, and even now we praise you that we might feast with you at this table. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ and the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, O loving Father, forever and ever. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, Truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you and receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for calling us out of darkness into your glorious light. We thank you that you have fed us in the sacrament, that you've united us with Christ, given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal kingdom. Strengthen our faith and increase our love for one another and send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 521, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
Please be seated, and a very good morning to you all. Um, announcements this morning, I have one uh, handwritten from the, uh, the honeydew list from uh, Mrs. Roberts. The women's prayer will resume uh, on this Thursday, correct? Sorry, Thursday, the, the third Thursday in October, which uh, is the 20th or 21st? Okay, um, this is tw- all right, I'm trying to do math, but uh, so third Thursday this month for the uh, women's prayer meeting. Um, the is there any update on Lawrence Tech? Yeah, um, learning as we go along. So uh, I did get a uh, finally got a te- uh, email back, and what they require is that students have to initiate anything that comes onto the campus from the outside. So a student would have to say, I want a Bible study or I want a prayer or whatever, and then we can come to them. So until that happens, uh, I can't, I can't uh, really start, try to do anything on campus. So that means we need to pray that we have contact with students. And if any of you have contact with any of the students, any student, uh, maybe I can talk to them and just say, hey, this is... I'll give you a red bull. Yeah. <laughs> there are all, these groups over there like to bribe, so... My mom tells me that there's a church in uh, Columbia, South Carolina doing this, but they have cookies set out, so they, they try to get everyone to come and eat a cookie. Um, so just pray for, that we'd have contact with students, and uh, then we'd be able to have an entree into the, onto the campus. Very good. So, um, yeah, so in case that wasn't picked up for those of you at home, um, so Lawrence, uh, our, our uh, desire to outreach to uh, Lawrence Tech uh, is going to require basically a student to initiate and say uh, we wish to have prayer or uh, we wish to have a Bible study or something. Um, and, and I guess I would uh, add to that or combine that with uh, another thing on our list and just uh, encourage your dr- general prayer for uh, openness to the gospel. Um, it's become, uh, I think, both desirable by in some circles and also convenience to just say, well, it's e- our lives are easier if we don't have to deal with that sort of thing. Um, and I include in that even the pr- prison ministry. That's one thing that um, COVID uh, has, has not changed at all since the very beginning of COVID, that um, you know, in many ways it's easier for uh, the Oakland County Jail to not have outsiders coming in. Um, and so uh, I guess pre- please pray that there will be uh, a desire for that and, and some movement on that because I haven't even heard from them in probably a year um, as far as they, they used to at least update and say, oh, we still can't do it. Now they're not even doing saying that. So um, anyway, continue to pray that, that God's gospel will go forth in this country to places like college campuses and prisons and, um, and uh, elsewhere. Um, Friday evening prayer uh, is just directing you to other announcements already in your uh, in your bulletin. But the fourth Friday of each month, the, month, the next meeting will be at the Hannams on September the thirtieth. And um, anybody else have? I'll point out there's a contradiction there. So the fourth Friday of September is not is was actually two days ago. But I put that in there because we had to bump it. Um, so. There was the uh, visitation for the funeral on this last Friday, so we're going to uh, move the Hannams, uh, the prayer, prayer Friday night prayer at the Hannams to this coming Friday. And if you could please contact Barbara so that she knows what you can bring. Everybody should bring something to help you know, uh, put the meal together. 
Fantastic. So again, uh, repeating for those of you at home, what I said was not simultaneously true, but both things are true. So Friday evening prayer is generally on the fourth Friday, but in this case, it is not on the, th- the fourth Friday, but it is on September 30th. And uh, please contact the Hannums if you can attend and let them know what you can bring. Um, anyone else? Other announcements from the floor? Mr. Tobias. Uh, again, uh, again, reiterating for those at home, uh, Chris Tobias is being promoted to Grandpa Chris uh, sometime this week. Um, and uh, anyway, but Ben uh, and his wife are expecting a baby this week and also are expecting a hurricane this week. So please be in prayer for their safety. That would promote, yes, lots of promotions within the Tobias family. <laughs> All right, I <laughs> I refuse to preside over a meeting of trying to name other people's babies. Does anyone else have anyone anything else they would like to add? Fantastic! Uh, enjoy some fellowship together, and we'll start Christian Ed in just a little bit. <laughs>